there's only one way out, and that's over my dead body. Welcome to the Pull Apart Podcast. This is Josh Heiser here with James Prophet. We are here to talk part two of The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels multi-year feud. <laughs> yes, we are. Josh, if it's cool with you, I have a couple of things I'd like to read before we get started today. Of course. All right. So in the Bible, Psalm 9, 17, this yeah. is the first part of that. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. And in this episode, Shawn Michaels has to come face to face with the Reaper of Wayward Souls in the realm of the devil, or sorry, in the realm of the dead, going straight into the devil's playground, hell in a cell. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, There will be weeping, there will be gnashing of teeth, and at the end, there will be fire. There will be blood? Um... No, but I might drink your milkshake. So, or maybe you'll drink mine. Is that a glimpse into their future, James, of the very biblical-oriented biblical Shawn Michaels versus the taker of souls or whatever dumb shit he wants to say? <laughs> when we get to WrestleMania 25, spoiler, which is, gosh, 12 years after this, <laughs> they do do a the darkness versus the light theme to that, right, right, right. which really adds to the atmosphere of it but yeah yeah sort of a preview of things to come this episode and later you you had another another scripture you want to share this isn't a scripture but uh this is from dante's inferno okay okay oh human race born to fly upward wherefore at a little wind dost thou fall sean michaels all about living in the moment life enjoying the fans admiration and approval but then just at the slightest backlash of him costing the Undertaker the title, he loses his total sense of self, goes to the dark side, and now he has to fall straight into the cell. Very nice, James. Okay. So stay tuned to see if James lays crap on Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> it's dancing time. James, so we thought uh, about doing something a little different at the beginning of this episode just because we are somewhat caught up with the episodes that we have recorded. So when we release this episode, we will actually be somewhat current. Uh, I think the last episode we were talking about the 4th of July. Yeah, we were talking about... That was what? Oh my gosh. So we're over a month ago. We're in mid-August now. So we're nearing the end of the Summer of Punk anniversary. (laughs) So what we thought we would do is just give a little bit of a recap of uh, just our thoughts on the big show of the summer, SummerSlam, and then the surrounding events. So NXT, possibly the G1. Yeah. On the wrestling calendar, you know, there are four or five holidays that we generally celebrate. You know, there's the Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and usually... NXT events are wrapped up in those, and sometimes you get lucky and New Japan events are too. And this year, that definitely happened. SummerSlam, G1 Climax, 
NXT put on a barn burner of a show. As usual. As usual. That is... I'm Actually, I'm wearing an NXT TakeOver shirt right now because Love that it. is my favorite thing in modern wrestling. I mean, it's, it's just... It's hard to beat. I don't know... If, you know, I'm sure there's been plenty of conversations in Stanford about how does TakeOver keep overshadowing our our big wrestling holidays, the WrestleMania and SummerSlam and everything else. I mean, I don't know that this weekend was as blatant as maybe like WrestleMania or some of the other ones have been. What do you think? I think WrestleMania this year was great. I thought SummerSlam this year was great. But still, for a wrestling fan... I feel like takeovers are still better. Yeah, they are. And I, I was thinking of last year's WrestleMania. I was in, I remember being in Florida and we watched Mania and I was just like, this just wasn't as good. I mean, it's just like yeah. just that simple. It just wasn't <laughs> as good. And takeovers like always five matches, two hours. Mm-hmm. You're done. You're in and out. And I could th- I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. I kind of have an unconditional love for WrestleMania. Right. I get all nostalgic, warm-hearted, the fuzzies when I'm watching it. It's such a good place for me to be to watch WrestleMania. Yep. And so I'll never dislike it. I don't talk crap about it like some people do on the internet. <laughs> but I can also appreciate that I know I'm going to be more engaged in TakeOver than I will be in the big shows. Like if you had a proverbial gun to your head you would give the takeover shows the last few years a better grade per se okay so yes like say this like a letter grade not stars or anything let's not get carried away with the stars already this year for wrestlemania i would give it an a i thought the booking was great i thought the action was good i thought the surprises were really fun the ambiance you know everything so i'd give it an a and i'd give takeover an a plus right so that, it's right there. Yeah, TakeOver to me this year in New York at Mania Weekend, that's my favorite show of all time. And I was at WrestleMania 17 Live, so... <laughs> so suck it, Triple yeah, H. It's not like I'm not considering that. It's, it's almost like Triple H is still finding a way to be on top because <laughs> he's the one booking NXT. I'm sure that is going on in his head somewhere, bouncing around in there. If it's not, I really hope it is. Okay, so so yeah, so we're here to talk about SummerSlam. <laughs> um, so SummerSlam, James. Initial impression. So let's talk about the hot button issues, right? Yeah. Okay, so number one, let's talk about The Fiend. I mean, it bothers me that that's even the first thing that people are talking about from SummerSlam. That was... Okay, that <laughs> debut yes. was gripping. That lantern was the creepiest thing I've ever that seen. That lantern on was gangster, I will say. Okay, so yeah, so if you haven't seen this, Bray Wyatt always carried a lantern to the ring, and he recently disappeared for several months. Kind of came back hosting a kids show on the air, which was great. Yeah, and then the kids show, you kind of saw his kids show host character in these vignettes devolving into madness and then you learn he has a split personality and they represent different parts of his career but then there's this really dark one called the fiend that's just in this horrific looking monster mask and so when the fiend debuted at SummerSlam this year he carried the lantern like bray used to except it looked like a severed head of bray wyatt yeah with the lantern coming out of like his stretched open screen. It was very mouth. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, it was intense. Google this. Look up the Fiend Lantern. 
and just have a nightmare tonight. So that, I mean, that started off, I was like, kind of like, oh, this is cool. But so here's my thing, James. All right. Yeah. I'm not trying to be contrarian. But contrary, the kids show thing was awesome. I thought it was like, okay, this is a 180 from where he was before. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's not going to do that forever. He's going somewhere with it. But I was like, okay, you know, this is different. This is different from the very small changes that they've made to Bray Wyatt like a hundred times where they're like, we're going to have a new Bray Wyatt. This time his hair (laughs) is braided. Like, not that much has changed. Yeah. So I was like, cool, I, I'm on, on board with this. And then The Fiend came, and it just seemed like this is the one more like slight tweak to Bray Wyatt. Like, this is Bray Wyatt, except for now he has a mask on, and he's kind of like mimicking mankind's, you know, gestures, and then eventually his his finisher is the same as mankind. Yep, that's correct. So isn't that enough? To- <laughs> <laughs> it's not that fresh is what you're saying. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, he is a good wrestler. And here and here's the other thing that I don't understand is, do we need another A-list wrestler like in the WWE? I mean, they have so many that Samoa Joe is forgotten all the time and he's in my opinion he's a main like, event talent. top 3 or 4, you know. Let Bray Wyatt manage right you know sail off into the sun i just don't know like where he fits into the picture right now he oh this was another thing that bothered me he broke finn balor's neck as as a wrestling move i was just like i don't know that kind of stuff bothers me where it's like that would actually murder someone in real life and he twisted it around like again like he's been playing a lot of mortal kombat 11 over here yeah, I will say, as Josh and I always have these, like, as a father perspectives, right? Neither one of us liked it in the sense that our kids might see it. And we're For not sure. trying to sound, like, judgmental. If you liked it, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with you if you liked it. That's cool. We liked it, too. We just don't want our little like, girls dro- to dropped, see it. Dropped into the PG era, it's hard to reconcile. I have grown accustomed. I know some people, nobody probably listening to this show, wouldn't even want their kids to watch wrestling at all. So I right. get that. But I've got to the point where my kids can watch, trying to think, like, whatever. So, like, Kofi Kingston, Dolph, yeah. all those people, like, the worst they're going to hear is somebody say ass and it'd be, like, a a big deal where the crowd, like, ooze and alls and stuff. So if you drop the fiend in in the middle of that, it's, like, it's a bit much. Yeah, it is. You know, cussing happens even on family shows. As an example, my family today with our five-year-old, Holding the new baby, we were watching Zumbo's Kitchen on Netflix, which is this nice. Australia baking yeah. show. Yeah, and they're saying shit and ass, and it's just kind of casual. You have to put an e on this episode. Sorry, please. they're saying the s word and <laughs> and ass, and like my daughter didn't even notice it. You know, she was half right. distracted, but it kind of made me blink. Like, oh, this is. She's in the room right yeah. now. I don't want her to start saying that. Okay, so so that's where we stand on The Fiend. Okay. A little too early to tell, I guess, exactly. I do like the fact that they're using him sparingly. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, okay, so the rest of SummerSlam. I, what's funny is I actually felt like I was being very positive about SummerSlam. Yeah. It's just that specific part I did not like. So Did you course, like the Bullet Club tease with Finn Balor? <laughs> trying to make me say all the negative things (laughs) um i mean it's fun you know it's whatever i feel like it's a little tired like it kind of looks like grandpa finally got a smartphone like (laughs) wait you know (laughs) that used to be in the bullet that kind of thing like well it's just the fact that wwe is the one doing it like 
like if it was a year or two ago, I would think like, oh, this is like edgy and they're going to some sort of faux Monday Night War kind of thing. Now, like New Japan doesn't even care about the Bullet Club anymore. So it's kind of like, why are we still like pretending that this matters, you know, elsewhere in the world? And this is like a, a fresh take on it, you know? Well, to be fair, current Bullet Club isn't that cool. Old Bullet Club was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I have like 12 Bullet Club shirts. <laughs> So, so no, that was not my favorite part of the show. Um, stuff I did love, James. Yes, from SummerSlam. The main event was great, and I'm not a Brock Lesnar stan or anything by mm-hmm. any means, and even Seth Rollins for that matter. But I thought that match was incredible, and the the thing James and I just thrown around the idea of having a episode where we just talk about random, like just our favorite things in wrestling. Yeah. And so, spoiler: one of mine would be when you're like you really are like lost in the match and you don't know who's going to win. Yes. And that was happening in that match where I was like, you know, all of the close calls and everything. I was like, Oh, I thought that might've been the end. Like that kind of vibe, which is, it's kind of hard anymore, especially in, in the big show. It is. And what made it so interesting, like you're saying, getting lost in it, they were rewriting their history, essentially. Yep. So, so long, WWE has sort of stuck it to the good guys, right? So they've had Brock as champion, and he's so rarely there that you're dying for somebody to beat him just so the champion is involved on a week-to-week basis. Right. Right. And you've so often seen them just go back to Brock over and over. And so the way they built this match, the logical conclusion was for Seth Rollins to win. Right. But because of the history with Brock, you're thinking the build doesn't matter. (laughs) It's going to be Paul Heyman's writing some now. (laughs) They're going to freaking do this again, and it's going to be the rumble before we see Brock Lesnar in the ring again. But they pulled the trigger. They pulled out the... moniker of beast slayer still is you know yes intact they can sell more t-shirts uh i love it brought clean yeah it was was, great yeah it was good um and then even i think we were a little mixed on this james is the kofi uh randy orton match (laughs) which like two years ago if you told me that that would be a (laughs) summer summer slam like championship match then i don't know if i'd believe you but I thought it was entertaining. I don't know. The Kofi run has been, you know... It's It's really good, I think. It's been good, but, like, I think a struggle has been, like, finding the right opponents for him or, like, ones that put him over big time. Mm -hmm. A legend, we'll say, like Randy Orton. Yeah. um, Will do that. Or a legend killer. A legend killer, (laughs) regardless of your feelings of him as a wrestler, still just seeing Kofi in the ring with him. And they had that great video package playing off their real-life history where... And what happened was, on a Monday Night Raw, Randy Orton, in a match he had with Kofi Kingston back in 2010, January, Kofi messed up a spot in the ring. Like, he messed up the finish. And Randy Orton just did a different finish. And... In a emotional outburst, he kind of looked down at Kofi. It was roid rage, wasn't it, James? I think it's just Randy Orton kind of being a jerk at the time. Yeah. I think he spit on him maybe even, but he definitely said, stupid, stupid, yeah. stupid. And then he just pinned him and like he shoved him after the pin. This was not part of the script. This Correct. effectively buried Kofi Kingston, and it pretty much ruined a uh, main event level push he was getting at the time. Yep. And so the video package was one of my favorite things on the show for that match. They showed Kofi winning and all this stuff. And then they flashed Randy Orton and he says, 
Kofi Kingston is stupid. It's like so good. <laughs> yeah, it's that's definitely like one for the for the the hardcore fans. I don't know how many people would get get that, but it still it works either way. So yeah, they, they played it up kayfabe wise. You know, like he's stupid to think he could compete on my level. Yeah. So they made it work for. I really everybody. wonder what their backstage interactions are like. Is this like a fun goof? for them or is it like haha that's that's funny randy orton but you're an a-hole <laughs> i wonder about that too yeah i think it might be the latter i'm but... afraid it might be all right so um the finish though james in regards to tying it to our last episode <sighs> was a non-finish as they say or mm-hmm. a schmoz yes and i liked it and conversely <laughs> like converse to how i felt about sean taker which i liked a lot at ground zero I disliked the Kofi okay. Orton finish. So I have a few reasons that I was okay with it. I am definitely not a fan of Schmazes For in, the most part. For the most part. Especially in a main event, meaning main event like the last match of the night. Okay. okay. Sending the crowd home on a Schmaz is just ridiculous. It should never happen. <laughs> but, but this was not this the main not, event. Right. It was a, a main event or whatever, but quote, but not the final match of the evening. So building Kofi's character a little bit more adding depth to it, showing how much he cares about his family, which Orton has done that in the past himself as well. So it's it's a a good trope to fall back on is, you know, okay, this guy cares about his family. We should care about him. Don't really care that he lost because he still has the belt. Obviously, nothing is going to happen to Orton as far as, like, you know, it's not going to knock him down any. Yeah, Orton is at a level now. He can lose every match for the next year, and he'd still be able to main event yeah. when he comes back. So that's kind of why I was all right with it. Nobody got, like, buried or anything like that. Or nobody, like, I didn't feel, like, screwed from not getting the finish, like, spoiler, like I do in today's episode's uh main event did you feel screwed when Shawn michaels screwed bret hart i did not feel i mean to me that (laughs) that made total sense to me (laughs) Ah, Um, all right so yeah the match was like a double count out or a double dq double um, count out i think yeah they were outside a lot josh didn't mind it the crowd chanted bull something and i wanted to chant it with it so that's funny because i forgot to text you this james in my post SummerSlam match uh summer summer slam thoughts is that crowd was terrible man like you didn't like toronto freaking a they were there for edge which i mean who isn't okay but i felt like they were all literally it looked like they were just standing around bored during some of like the really good matches of the night yeah I wanted to, like, shake them through the TV and be like, why aren't you more excited? (laughs) I really thought Bailey vs. Ember Moon was really good. And, yeah, they kind of sat on their hands for that one. So so that, like, that was, like, another nail in the coffin for me with that crowd. It's like, oh, whatever. Like, what do you want? Like, an RKO finish and then another six (laughs) years of Randy Orton as champion? I mean, so, yeah. I will say, so typically Toronto, they call it Bizarro World on commentary because it's like this giant 20,000 person inside joke where they will intentionally cheer every bad guy and boo every good guy. This has been going on for like 15 years. They didn't do that this time. Right, yeah, which was kind of messing with me because I was trying to figure out, are they off or am I, I know I haven't been watching Raw a lot, but. I think the writing and the characters are better than they've been in 15 years right now. Okay, so the crowd is just Yeah, the writing, you know, new, of course, you know, that's only in the last month or so of uh, development. 
but the characters are much more well-defined than they were several years ago. All right, James, any other standouts from SummerSlam? We're like 25 minutes in, so... <laughs> okay, real quick, let's hit some quick hitters. Uh, sure. You brought up Edge, okay? Yep. So he did a wrestling move for the first time since he retired in 2011. Uh, yep. Okay, so did you, you geek so hard I, for I that. Got, I gotta do my, my Josh asked James, is this real kind of dumb question. So this is my... my thought right so i didn't get to watch it live um and so from the way that i found out about edge doing anything was our friend tommy messaging our wrestling nerds group yeah and hey tommy hey i was kind (laughs) of like hold on a second edge did something so my immediate reaction was vince is gonna kill edge why is he doing anything in the ring right so then I go back and watch it. It takes me four hours to find it with a stupid WWE Network update. Yeah, this but, update's not but, my friend. But <laughs> I finally found it. It was like an hour and a half into the kickoff, which... Why? That's another... Okay, sorry. I'm, why on the I'm, kickoff show? Why was it on the, kickoff? on the kickoff show? But James, so like I was telling Brian at work, Brian, shout out to you. The kickoff, nobody is watching the kickoff. That well, is not going to watch SummerSlam already, right? Mm-hmm. True. So why not just put it on SummerSlam? Make it the opening thing. You know, Elias comes out, talks trash about Toronto. You set the stage that you're where you are. Edge does the huge pop, gets the crowd all excited. I shouldn't have to fast forward an hour and a half of Lawler talking <laughs> on a sports center desk to find freaking Edge's comeback. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> It sets the precedent of putting something important on the pre-show. They also had that women's tag match, which was really cool to have that on the show. The shows these days are eight hours long. We don't need to have anything important happen on the kickoff. Actually, and that's one of my favorite things about this year's SummerSlam. It was not eight hours long. It was three hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, A cool 3.15. Yeah, we'll take that all night long. (laughs) Including the kickoff 5.15. Right, yeah, but the kickoff, like you said, that's Jerry Luller talking for a long time. So sorry, I went off on a rant there, Dennis Miller style, but... I was a fan Do of it. Andy Rooney style. Why is Ash? <laughs> Here's what I don't understand. So, or Frank DeFord. From <laughs> yeah, let's hear that. Okay. So anyway, the the thing that Tommy sent us was Seth Rollins. I assume legitimately his actual. I'm guessing account. He, he knows. Yeah, um, he's the champ, so he would know. Posted something that Edge has been medically cleared to wrestle. Yes, mm. WWE doctors cleared him for the first time since 2011. But but he is not coming back, essentially, is what they said. That's correct. So, for me, that meant, um, don't get mad at us for Edge spearing Elias in the ring, because he's medically cleared to come back. Mm-hmm. But also, don't get excited, because he's not actually coming back, because he's a millionaire from Vikings and everything else. Yeah. But then also, like, maybe he'll come back. <laughs> like, <laughs> like enough to get us excited, you know? Like, so, what you're saying is... CM Punk is about to come back to oh WWE. God, I don't even know what I would do. <laughs> Edge and CM Punk at Mania. Oh my God. Anyway, so I was a fan, obviously. I was, I mean, my wife and I are just in love with him. Like I said, it was, I had it like spoiled, but I, I will say spoiled. I would have never watched the kickoff. So it's not like it was like, oh man, I wish you wouldn't have told me that because I would have seen it later today. Like I wouldn't have ever went and seen it if it wasn't for the rated R superstar. Right, right. So. So, all right, I'll say I, I loved SummerSlam as a show. Yep. The only thing I 
I didn't like the fiend just because, you know, daughter with me. The only thing I didn't like was so this actually started up as soon as the new writing team kicked off. They are kind of subtly sneaking in the sexualizing of women once again. Yes. And like I guess they wrestling you could argue men are sexualized too just because of wrestling tights, right? I, I, I don't did know. just talk about how hot Edge was. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Trish Stratus sort of had <laughs> her chest shoved halfway out of her shirt, right? Right. And the last few appearances she did not appear like that. And so I was a little bummed because I had this great moment a few years ago where I was watching like the Oscars or something like that. Have I mentioned this already on a podcast? I don't remember it. Okay. So I was watching the Oscars. It was probably at your house and yeah. they introduced a well known actress as the beautiful. That's how they said like it's the beautiful, well whatever. Right. And she came out and I remember feeling really uncomfortable, like She's super talented, and she's incredibly charismatic, and she has such a presence. She has so many good movies. I think she was up for a Best Actress Oscar that year, and the introduction was, like, reduced to The Beautiful. Right. And I was. it took me a minute to figure out why that stood out to me so much, because in the history of my life, you know, our childhood up through our early 20s, 30s, like, that hasn't really been something that would be unusual. That's what we've heard our whole life yeah and i think the reason why it stuck out i finally figured out the only thing i really watch is wrestling and well, mostly you know they would never at you know after at a certain point when i saw this it had been like two or three years since they had referred to a woman's looks unless that was like her character and it was like over the top stupid like oh it's right. god's perfect creation or something like yep. that so i and i love that that made me think like yeah good female strong like women role it. models yeah I can show this to my daughter. This is going to empower her, you know, to kind of want to be like these people. This is great. And then it's that. Uh, the fiend. Like, it looks like maybe it, they're. I, do I sound like I'm being kind of prudish here? No, I don't think so. I think it's just like trying to telegraph where they're going. Yeah. More of what those two things were could end up being a Attitude Era wannabe. And, like, we, again, this is a podcast where we talk about the storytelling elements of wrestling. Right. So, of course, we're sort of dreading, like, the simplification to titillation. Yeah. So I hope it doesn't go that direction. But SummerSlam had, though, at least one moment that was a bad sign. On a more classy note, James. Yes, please. Take over. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean. I, I read something before TakeOver by uh, this writer I like named Scott Keith. Don't agree with him a lot, but he's really good and he's very entertaining. He said this is the weakest TakeOver card in a couple of years. And I was somewhat inclined to agree with him, but I thought this will still be a great show. You mean show. like on paper? On paper, Okay, yeah. gotcha. And it was, I'd give the show an A. It was fantastic. Yeah, I. it's weird. I thought that kind of going into it almost like, I'm a huge Gargano fan and also Adam Cole, but, like, can they really do this? I, I've done that with Gargano, like, several times. Yeah. Because he has so many rematches. I'm like, I really don't know if he can do this again. And his matches aren't short, you know? Every... We've seen him wrestle, like, an hour and 20 minutes of Adam Cole this year, and then Dude. they wrestle for another 50 minutes over the weekend. Every time. I'm, every time I'm just like, how does he do it? Like, he's... He's really up there as far as... I think as, he's like, the he's... best on the planet right now. Okay, I was going to say, like, right under... Under Kenny. Under but, Kenny yeah. Omega. That's I mean, fair. Okay. I mean, it's like, matching those two together, James. I mean, <laughs> good grief. 
But yeah, it's I don't know how he does it every time. It's just crazy. And then yeah, Adam Cole obviously the theatrics of it with the third the third, third, third fall, fall like the cage weapons match. So you've seen a lot more. Like you have a encyclopedia mind, James. Has that ever happened before? Not to that degree of success. It's happened before, and they've been crap matches generally. So the third one being a surprise cage, you mean? Yeah. Well, like, okay, surprise cage. Like, no, not in a third fall, it's a surprise cage, but the cage with weapons. Okay, cage tried with that a weapons, I was going to ask about that, too. I figured yeah. that had definitely been done in, like, December to December. Yeah, but... famously had a really bad weapons cage. Yeah, yeah, and the original ECW did that before, too. But, like, the way they sold it, too, the way they were, they just looked like, like, Adam Cole looked terrified and Johnny Gargano looked, like, delighted. Yeah! <laughs> and the crowd was chanting, thank you, Regal, for making that the third fall. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. That was perfect execution again. I want to go back and watch it. Again. Speaking of perfect execution, yeah. we were just talking about Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai. Yes. Which we both felt was like perfectly executed as a match. I Like, I don't know who, I mean, it's, is it just Triple H that's booking this? I mean, it's just, I mean, I want to, I want to just like assume that Sean is part of the booking, right? Sean is helping them <laughs> wrestle. So you have maybe the best in-ring performer of all time, helping them put matches together. Yeah. And, and the best talker of all time in Triple H. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, so, I don't know who does the booking. I think it has at least one writer, but I know Triple H has huge influence yep. over it. Man, it's so good. So, what I was telling James before we hit record was, like, Candice LeRae pretty much looked like she just got destroyed in this match, right? But did not look bad at all like nobody no, she looked great after the match was nobody was saying oh man like where's she going like she's probably not gonna be on nxt next week or whatever like she looked amazing and the thing that i loved about it is you always see all these like near falls like one two like five six minutes into a match and you just know it's they're gonna kick out because it's five six minutes into the match and this match, you said, I think it was like eight minutes or something like eight, that. Eight, ten, twelve, something like it that. It seemed relatively short compared to, you know, the, the other ones of the weekend. And it ended seemingly kind of out of nowhere. Like, oh, no, that is the end. You know, so I thought that was kind of cool. A surprise, you know, kind of a shocker of an ending. And you didn't see everybody getting all of their stuff back and forth for a bunch of false finishes and everything. So, Right. And I also geeked out for the finish where Io Shirai, she couldn't pin her. With her normal finishing move. So she locked down a new submission move yep. that ties up, like, essentially your neck and one of her arms. And Candice LeRae, like, put her arm up to kind of do the fake, like, am I going to tap, fight, fight, fight? And Io grabbed her arm and shoved it into her leg so Candice couldn't even, like, consider it. And she, Candice just, like, blacked out. It was very Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, it was super cool. It made Io Shirai look like... Such a badass. Yeah. And it made Candice LeRae look like a fighter who was in this impossible hole but was still trying to fight her way out of it. Yep. Everybody looked great. Perfect execution. So good. Love it. Um, the tag match. Tag match. Street Profits. Montez Ford is a freaking star, man. Yep. Do you remember, James, us seeing... Angelo Dawkins. Angelo Dawkins at the, I guess, a house show, right? It was the NXT show. In Cincinnati. Was it NXT Live or whatever? NXT Live. Called? Yeah, at a Northern Kentucky University. 
Go North. Yeah, go North. So Josh and I live in uh, suburban Cincinnati, which is northern Kentucky. And he's from Angelo Dawkins is a Cincinnati guy. They announced him from Cincinnati. And the he was it was before Street Profits or whatever. Yeah, before he was on TV. And the crowd, I mean, talk about the opposite of that Toronto crowd. We were all <laughs> we went nuts the biggest for him. Angelo Dawkins fans ever. <laughs> we had never heard of him. Never yeah. saw him. I think you could tell he was just freaking so excited that he had fans you know before. yeah they announced him as too strong we started a yep. too strong style chant um hey tommy tommy loves that memory i know <laughs> yeah um we gosh we were just taunting he fought andrade before yeah. andrade was with selena or zelena and we just cheered the crap out of Angelo, and they made Angelo win. Yep. Real quick, real quick. Last thing. G1 Climax, so you know who won. You haven't seen the matches I, the finals. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen... Yeah, so... What I do you feel think about the wrestling the main event? So the main event I love. Okay. I'm so I'm disappointed. <laughs> Are you really, James? So- I am... Yeah, I thought that... Um, Abushi really lost some steam. I don't think he's cold, but I don't think he's hot necessarily either. So tell me why you hate Kota Abushi. I don't hate Kota Abushi, but he's kind of got the Ryu thing from Street Fighter 2 going. You know, he's sort of a traveler looking for the fight. He's recently said, I'm going to finish my career in New Japan. Before the tournament started, I figured that he was going to win. And if it wasn't him, then it would be Moxley. Once the tournament started, I even told Josh, like, I think it's going to be Okada. Because I don't feel like Naito or... Or not Mox, I thought it'd be Naito. So I don't feel like Naito or Ibushi have any momentum right now. And they try to build Ibushi's momentum, giving him that late surge, you know? It didn't work on me. I I will say that, like, for the G1 specific, I don't know that it worked. But I think in January, around uh, Wrestling New Year... (laughs) <laughs> yeah no one will care okay and we'll be excited to have a bushi at the tokyo dome so that's why i'm excited about that i do feel like a bad new japan fan because i was watching every night for whatever two weeks or something mm-hmm. and then you know new job new house crap started happening and i just i failed james i well- failed <laughs> failed japan the country entirely but i am gonna go back and watch actually what really failed me was Amazon uh, Fire Stick. That's what really failed me. Oh, no. Because I could have watched some of them while I was editing the podcast. Okay. If I watched it on TV, but it straight up doesn't work. And so when I go to watch New Japan, I have to do it on a laptop. What? Which is where I edit. How does the Fire Stick not work on your TV? I don't know, James. No one wants to hear, but... (laughs) it, It, like, New Japan comes up but then I can't scroll up, down, left, right, or anything, and I've I've restarted, an unplugged and restarted kind of thing, like 50 times. I think this thing is just shot. I don't know. But... I will say, I have that happen to me sometimes when I open New Japan World, and I'll have to like go back home and reopen it and yeah. re-sign in, and then it'll work. Which, it's fine. I mean, first world problems, but... You know, I just didn't get a chance to to catch up there towards the end. I did. I was trying to avoid spoilers, but I knew it would be hard with social media. So I finally yes. saw a a still image of Coda. Um, I don't remember it. It had the you know text that said something about winner or whatever, and I was like, okay, I mean, five stars in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> I mean, it's not the Tokyo Dome, but oh, you mean like for that match? Yeah, the Ibushi Okada, I think, got five. Gotcha. And I think him and Jay White may have gotten five too. I do. I will say that 
once I lost steam, I was going to look up Meltzer ratings and just watch the ones that are... That's what happened to me last year. It's a good gauge. Okay, so, James. Okay. We have... 1998 wrestling to talk about Is it 1998 <laughs> 1997 into 98 we might go as far as 2007 and 8 here but yeah josh mentioned he's getting behind we mentioned in our last episode we're having big summers they've both happened i have a new baby josh has bought and sold a house in the last couple weeks yes i have it's, had uh... the most amazing 24 hours maybe in the history of the world that was crazy yeah new job sold a house bought a house amazing amazing i mean it's not as good as say like sean winning a slammy and then beating brett for the belt in 1996 those 24 hours okay but you know it's definitely up there for me what about was it as good as owen hart winning a slammy <laughs> for knocking sean out and then winning a six-man match at WrestleMania 12. Being adorable at WrestleMania 12. Uh, he's always so adorable. So that was when he had a cast, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember him holding up the Slammy with a cast. Or no, no, that, w- that was the next year when he had the cast. Was it? Yeah. What at was 12, his Slammy for for the next it year? Was f- the next year, it, they were going to give out an award for best bow tie, and Owen Hart just walked up and said, I did it again, and took the so Slammy. So James, it is very rare that I think that I am right about something and you are wrong wrestling i might be but wrong. i think in 1996 he had the cast because that was when we saw him in SummerSlam. well here's what happened i thought i remembered him having a cast he did have it at SummerSlam. Okay. he got it in 96 in a match with mark marrow oh you're right I james think, at I'm king of the ring right. after wrestlemania and so he did have or maybe something else i forget how he broke it exactly but Okay, so stay tuned. Quote, unquote. <laughs> Next week, we will come back and fill you in on... How <laughs> Owen Hart broke I mean, we arm. could just wait until the the Owen Hart, Big Van Vader, <laughs> Savio Vega <laughs> feud that we're going to Oh, cover. yeah, for sure. You know, that's going to be a big one-part episode. Yeah. Okay, so we are back with... <laughs> Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. All right. Post Ground Zero. Yes. Post Moz. All right. So this is the next night. Starting out, this is, uh, if you want to follow along, 51 minutes and 57 seconds into the Monday Night Raw, the night after Ground Zero. Used to be labeled as episode 224 on the network, and then they changed it, and it's <laughs> they by sure date. Did, James. Yeah. I was struggling. But um, so they put together this great video package about Shawn Michaels and his descent into Heeldom. They show the clips from the Friday night's main event that is not on the network that we've talked about. And they kind of detailed it as like he hit The Undertaker once with a chair. Yes. He went down and then Shawn Michaels had a chance to kind of turn the other cheek. You saw like a moment of hesitation. And then instead what he did was he decided to go full on. I'm in this. I don't care. He hit The Undertaker again with a chair. And that's sort of like, okay, he is making his decisions to do bad things right now. He is in control of this. And that's how they framed it. And it was a really cool way to show, like, Shawn Michaels is a heel. You should boo this man. Yeah. This is the direction we're going. Do you want to guess what The Undertaker said on this episode of Raw? Did he say, rest in peace? He said, Shawn will rest in peace. The only thing you need to rest assured of, Shawn Michaels, is that hell in the cell, you will rest in 
Peace. <laughs> hey, I want to bring up too. I was at this Monday Night Raw. Oh, nice. I timed this. The Undertaker's entrance took a lean one minute. Oh wow. Yeah, compared to today, a short, where it takes short like ramp 10 maybe. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it. He walked out in a minute. That's insane by today's standards. Uh, Vince McMahon interviews Taker. Taker says it's only the beginning. You know, you brought up. He said Sean will rest in peace. <laughs> They kind of try to describe what Hell in a Cell is, and they mentioned that Taker and Shawn are going to fight at Hell in a Cell. Here's the thing. This is the first ever Hell in a Cell match. At this point, we haven't seen it. We have no concept of what it is other than the cell sounds like a cage. They're just calling it Hell in a Cell. It's a cool name. But For sure. Yeah, watching at the time, it's just kind of a head scratcher. Like, okay. I, I also wonder, like, uh, hindsight 2020 kind of thing like w- does the audience know where they're going with Kane hell in a cell it's a very like Undertaker sounding pay-per-view like match and does, do you think that was um, expected at that point they've been dragging out the Kane thing for so long that Kane was going to debut yeah so one of the things that happened uh, we brought up how in one of the go homes to ground zero Paul Bearer came out to mention that Kane was coming, and he did not at Ground Zero, of course. They stopped mentioning Kane on commentary. This is basically it was like the next week. So Kane's going to debut like three weeks after Ground Zero. I think they mentioned him on the Go Home Raw, but they just gave it a rest. So because wrestling is like it is, you don't know if a they just dropped it we're like you know what we're not going anywhere with this let's just stop talking about it pretend it never happened you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) or b if like okay they're just sort of giving this a rest to really make the surprise even better later right and because you don't know you can't really get your hopes that's similar to the brock and seth thing we're just talking about you know yeah. Where it's like they you think you know where they're going, but you never know for sure. Right, right. So, I mean, there's not much to this, really. Um, Taker talks, Sean talks, they both say Ground Zero was a war, and at Hell in a Cell, I'm going to win. It's right, pretty much. kind of a by-the-numbers promo, actually. Yep. Hour 25 minutes into this episode, the main event is Savio Triple H and the Patriot in one of the first triple threat matches on Monday Night Raw. <sighs> Shawn Michaels is on commentary. The crowd is chanting boring. Shawn says he's going to stack the odds in his favor at Hell in a Cell. And he's a bad guy, so that's what bad guys do. And Shawn Michaels helps Triple H win the match. He bl- he also blames it. I thought what was interesting, he blames his being a bad guy on Vince. Yeah. Um, he says it's because he made him you know, change when he made him kiss his butt i missed that yeah really. so i don't really know like that was kind of just sean talking out of his butt a little bit like as far as what we could tell like i don't remember anything from ground zero where vince was making him do anything well that's cool like so that probably is referring to sean's run as champion like when diesel turned heel after his run he talked about how vince tried to make him into a corporate stooge you know like the face of the company so sean was probably referring to that so that's cool that you know he's sort of lashing out about how he was kind of made to be a puppet as the champion sean helps triple h win like i said the match is really underwhelming even with sean triple h's involvement but they make up for it by being around for the next 23 years and continuing to have underwhelming matches together so what you gonna do (laughs) right (laughs) okay next episode (laughs) 
Raw 225. Not that that means anything anymore. <laughs> at the next Such year. a bummer. Um, all right. This is the promo with the infamous stuffed biker shorts that Shawn Michaels <laughs> has. <laughs> So yeah, he like stuffed a, was it a roll of quarters down his yeah, pants? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Vince McMahon was like out of the country, and Sean, just before he went out, <laughs> stuffed his biker shorts. <laughs> and kept jumping, Jim Ross was interviewing him, Sean kept jumping up in his face and doing crotch chops at eye level. It's really weird too, because like a lot of like uh, retrospective like videos of DX will have this and like the Sergeant Slaughter stuff, and it feels like, oh yeah, that was in the middle of all the DX stuff, but really it was like kind of before they were a thing you know yeah um, they're finding their goofing way off and they haven't named themselves yet right i think jim ross would always call them the sophomore class on commentary <laughs> to kind yeah. of make fun he of was them. trying to get that to stick so yeah Shawn michaels starts the interview saying he was begged to be the referee at SummerSlam, which is a lie you know according to the story he asked to be the ref he says he then stole the show at ground zero and his reward for putting on this great performance is getting thrown into Hell in a Cell which, with The Undertaker, which proves that the powers that be are out to get him. <laughs> and they, he then says people think it will be his demise. And if it is, he's bringing everybody down with him. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that it was going to be the death of Shawn Michaels. Well, I got news for you. I told you once... And I've told you a thousand times, if I go down, I'm bringing everybody with me, and I'm going out in a blaze of glory. And they show this woman just like wooing and cheering in the crowd. That was kind of funny. <laughs> Taker pops up on the screen, sitting behind a mesh cage, and really, this is the first time you saw a mesh cage on WWF TV since 1986. They'd always used the blue cage pretty much on television. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, Sean playfully puts up his dukes while Taker's yeah. on the screen. And uh, Taker says, this is his playground. He's taking Sean's soul and bad blood will be his finding his final resting place. Yes. And, okay, so... Uh, Sean says that he will make Taker taste his own blood again. Yes, that was really cool. 18 minutes. Uh, actually, yeah, that's it for that episode, yeah. I think, right? wasn't a whole lot. All right, next week. Yeah, I don't know how many people are going back and rewatching these Rawls, but it is definitely entertaining. Yeah. There's so much that you forget about. Like, <laughs> all that guy was a thing, like, you know, for, right. for a minute. Um, Sal Sincere, and now he's Tom Brandy. <laughs> Steve Blackman was, like, somewhat pushed for a little bit. <laughs> So in that last one, and then it shows it on this one that Sean won the European title. Yes, um, he was declaring that he would become the first Grand Slam champion. Yeah, he did it, winning that belt. So, um, so yeah, Sean won the European title over Bulldog at one night only. Um, his next assignment, you know, is friggin' Hell in a Cell against the Undertaker. Vince interviews Taker. Yep. Says the winner of the match will meet the champion at Survivor Series. Yeah, and Taker says the only way out of Hell in a Cell will be over his dead body. <laughs> and Taker says he himself may never rest in peace, but he can at least enjoy watching Sean <laughs> suffer. <laughs> you mean enjoy watching Sean's rotting corpse burning in eternal damnation? <laughs> Is that what That's he what he said. So is this changing your mind about Taker's promo skills? Not at all. <laughs> I'm like, man, they really just pulled from the big book of uh, 
you know. Undertaker was also reading Dante's Inferno. <laughs> like only Dante's Inferno. Okay, Sean comes out and he says oh, the, I love this. He starts talking about SummerSlam again, like Sean can't get over SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah he was uh no, he you know framed job, or whatever. Everyone's blaming him yeah. and everyone's against them. He gloats about having won all the titles and says he shouldn't have to earn it. He's looking for a garden party and unless Undertaker what is this? Undertaker is one hot mama. Sean doesn't lay down for anyone. Right. I do love, like, you know, Sean says, you know, so the winner of Hell in a Cell gets the title match. And then Sean says, why don't you just give the Undertaker a title shot if you want him to have one this bad? <laughs> like, sort of saying, like, you know I'm going to lose. Right. Why are you going through the motions of this just to torture me? That's awesome. So, yeah, that killed me. I thought that was so good. Uh, he calls Undertaker out. He says, bring that dead carcass out so he can slap him around. Undertaker's afraid of Sean. And he gives uh, the line he gave to Brett like a month later that I really loved. He said, at Hell in a Cell, I will bring the pain. All you gots to do is show up. Undertaker at Hell in a Cell, I will bring the pain. And dead man, all you gots to do is show up. As Undertaker comes out, Triple H attacks him from behind. Michaels beats him up with a chair. Rick Rude and China come down. All that fun stuff. You know, we haven't talked a lot about Rick Root as the Enforcer. Yeah. All right. I thought this was really lame when it happened. What about you? So, it's weird because I definitely think it's really lame now. Okay. I think at the time I thought it was awesome. Okay. Um, It might just be c- because it had to do with Sean and clearly I thought he could do no wrong. Right. Um, I remember talking about uh on our first episode when we were talking about action figures and how I played with those as a kid. I remember we were really into the Rick Rude action figure. Okay. And so, <laughs> therefore, also into him as a wrestler, even though not really. Like, I didn't sit around watching Rick Rude matches. Okay. But just when he showed up, I'm like, hey, it's Rick Rude. <laughs> nice. And he's, you know, got a suit on and he looks like a, you know, a bodyguard or something. So, I was into it as whatever year old kid I would have been at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in retrospect, I'm like, why? Why Why yeah. is Rick Rude out there? He kind of had that, you know, character where he thought he was the sexiest guy alive. Yep. And now I'm supposed to buy him as like this tough, no-nonsense badass. Yeah, it doesn't really add up, does it? It doesn't. <laughs> he was a little bit like that in WCW, but not completely. And so, yeah, I didn't buy this at all. Well, and was he wasn't like, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but he wasn't like wrestling anymore. Like, it's not like... He was retired at that point, yeah. You know, some people like... You know, Goldberg, Trish Stratus, whoever, come back and and wrestle. He was just a dude in a suit, which, like you said, he was supposed to be super hot dude before, aka have muscles. You can't even see his muscles through his (laughs) his oversized suit. (laughs) So the show ends with a big DX Heart Foundation brawl. Sean and Brett are still feuding while this is going on. And Taker runs out, knocks everyone out of the ring except for Brett and Sean. And then delivers a double choke slam to them both at the same time. And then after the show, we later see DX beat the Undertaker down with chairs. That takes us to the next week. <laughs> 227. Yeah. Uh, 614, Sean promo with Vince. Um, they show footage of last week after the show. And Sean says, we came, we saw, we kicked the dead man's ass. <laughs> that was pretty cool. He wants Triple H to unload on the WWF because this is what he's been waiting for. Okay. It's kind of first glimpse of them, you know, really becoming a... A unit together like supporting each other yeah. things like that yeah sergeant slaughter comes out and uh, he 
says he actually runs the show and tonight Triple H has to fight The Undertaker. Hold on, James, real fast. Sorry, I had one other thing about... So Hunter says that Vince has always been afraid of clicks. This yes. is what I thought really interesting because they're referencing the, the MSG incident, I'm assuming. Yes. That has happened at this point. And they show that on Monday Night Raw. I can't... I don't think it's in that promo, though, is it? No, not them showing it. Right, yeah, they show a promo where, like, Sean and Triple H are talking about what happened the previous week on Raw. They throw to a clip, but then what they show is the curtain call from Madison Square Garden where two good guys, two bad guys, all in this backstage group of friends called The Click, they break character in the ring in... The biggest stage WWE had off TV, Madison Square Garden. They all salute each other, like hug, pose for the crowd. Everybody's cheering, but it pissed off a lot of people backstage. Namely, Vince. (sighs) (laughs) So, um, but he literally says... Yeah, if you're a wrestling fan, this is like super famous. Right, yeah. Yeah. The MSG incident. The curtain call, yeah. Probably got its own Wikipedia page. Yeah, it was two guys last night in the WWF, and they kind of gave him a send-off. Did we say? So it's... it's But yeah, Sean and Triple H for the two that stayed. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, So this is... He said this is one click that he's never going to be able to break up. Yes. Which I thought, like, damn. (laughs) Like, is he already engaged to Stephanie? Like, has he got... Like, put (laughs) a ring on it? Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. So, later in the episode, hour 18. So, yeah, one hour, 18 minutes in, we see the first look at Hell in a Cell. And it's still a mystery at this point. Uh, They show some welders constructing it with some ominous-sounding horn music in the background. And Vince says Sean's going to pay and pay heavily. And Jim Ross adds that this will be the most dangerous cage in wrestling history. So I will say something I noticed. While they're talking about, you know, Taker versus Sean this whole time, the narrative is always about Shawn Michaels. Right. And his heel turn and how he's going to pay. It's not really, and The Undertaker will get his revenge. It's always, and Shawn Michaels will pay. So I thought it was interesting that really Sean's going to be champion. You know, they really are framing him as sort of the center of the story. Yeah, almost like The Undertaker doesn't have a character, is what you're saying. Like, <laughs> I am not saying that. <laughs> I think he's a great character. I love The Undertaker. It's a really weird relationship I have in my head with him because he's incredible. Love Amazing wrestler. Yeah. Means everything to, like, my childhood. Like, he was one of the dudes, you know, like, in all the video games, all the all the big shows and everything. But I just think he kind of sucks as, like, a character. <laughs> like, you know, says dark stuff and has some ludicrous <laughs> brother storylines going on every now and then. And that's pretty much it. Like, I remember being, when we were at SummerSlam 96, Paul Bear turning on him was such a big deal. Yeah. And not to downplay that, because that was a big deal, but also kind of like, why is your, like... <laughs> His only friend. Un- unnecessary manager turning on you, like, the biggest thing that's happened to you in, like, five years. Like, oh, really? So... Man, I thought that was huge when it happened. I don't know. So that's just kind of my, where I'm at with, with Taker. Okay. I still love him. But, but, like, not really. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. I'm not going to argue against that. So, the show ends. Uh, this is what happens. Sean and Triple H jump The Undertaker on the ramp while he's on his way out to the match, I think. They try to bust him open again, kind of calling back to if it bleeds, it can be destroyed. And Sean telling Taker he's going to bleed again at Hell in a Cell. The match finally starts. Rude interferes to break up a tombstone to cause the DQ. Triple H and China then hold The Undertaker for a super kick, and they place The Undertaker in a body bag. 
and DX starts to dance around the body bag, and then <laughs> so dumb. Under- oh, I loved. This. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> right. So like, the over Undertaker the top. sits up in the body bag, <laughs> unzips it. The crowd explodes. Yeah. He fights off DX. He stalks Sean to the back. Um. There's a red light just randomly. Yeah. Triple H gets tombstone on the steel ramp, and Sean climbs to the t- top of the Titan Tron to escape the Undertaker. <laughs> Such and they say like weasel. but in hell in a cell there will be no escape and this is how the show fade ends. to black yeah that's the go home yep. episode so josh the build between ground zero to hell in a cell been you know pretty by the numbers but that's not necessarily a bad thing even how did you like it? so i mean it's great because of and the ending of ground zero i felt like definitely left you wanting to see this match mm-hmm. okay let's see it without any shenanigans trapped inside a cell so there will be no escape we're gonna get the match that we want to see right james <laughs> Shawn michaels versus the undertaker with a clean finish inside of a cell i never said i wanted a clean finish <laughs> <laughs> i just mean like and i think this is a thing that they did well it just kind of bothered me is that you think that that's going to happen because you're yeah the whole thing is that you're trapped in a cell. You can't go anywhere. Yeah, that's it's funny. That's the build. First time in the cell, they immediately go they, out of it like three-fourths right, of the way through yeah. the match. Kind of set up the rest of the Hell in the Cells, but <laughs> yes. it was worth it. Okay, so bad blood. By the way, the poster for the show is the Undertaker holding up a severed head of himself while still uh, having his original Bray. head on his body. Uh, yeah, a la Bray Wyatt, who we just talked about. It's, I wondered if that was supposed to be like his brother is possibly a twin i don't know it, <laughs> it looks kind of stupid yeah actually. it does i also i want to say i love the old 1990s narrator for these video packages a cage no one can enter sean michaels has his date with destiny destiny a hell no man escape. Undertaker, I'm going to take you down, put you down, and bury you underneath that ring. There's nowhere to run. There's only one way out. Nowhere to hide. And that's over my dead body. No one to stop the carnage. Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. I can never WWF Bad Blood in your house live this Sunday on pay per view. And also, the theme show for this, or the theme song for this Bad Blood show, is Steve Blackman's old entrance music. So now he is gets a really? second mention on this podcast. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure he's listening. Yeah, so at two hours and three minutes into this two-hour, 49-minute pay-per-view, the cell lowers. And so for the first time, we as fans see the fully constructed Hell in a Cell. That's impressive. Yeah, they say it's 16 feet high. It has a roof. It weighs um, about a ton. And, I mean, these are all probably stupidly exaggerated. But right. it's made of steel, James. Yeah, I- I'm here for the story, <laughs> so I'm not going to question it. Like, <laughs> sure, I- I'm on board for all this. Yeah. And if you're a wrestling fan, this match is must-see. For sure. It's all-time classic. I remember where I was, James. Do you? Really? Yeah. I do remember the first time I saw this. Well, like, at the time, it was so rare that I would see a pay-per-view live. Okay. But I remember going over to 
with my brother with our friend um, Shane Shane Tasher. Okay. Um, hi Shane. We straight up stole this pay per view. Nice. Like okay. <laughs> whatever weird black box. I don't even remember, but I remember we of course had no money. Yeah. And watched it anyway. Oh my gosh, you saw it live. Yeah, oh. and this is really random, but it was also the first time that I watched a Halloween movie that night. Oh my god. I remember thinking like after the fact like you saw all kinds of gruesome stuff yeah, that night like, watching like between my fingers you know so anyway and then walked home because it was like oh gosh around the corner you know so how old were you at friend's house 1997 you were 13, 13. wrestlemania 13 yep, yeah 13 okay so for this was in what like i guess you were 14 maybe because well, that would have so- been after your birthday so first time i saw it uh i hadn't seen it live i hadn't seen it at all they put out an Undertaker DVD in 2001, I think it was. And so I had bought my sister a DVD player for Christmas that year. And so she was the only one in the family that had one. I didn't have one. My parents didn't have one. This was still in the age of VHS mostly. So I went to Media Play, an old store, to buy the Undertaker documentary vhs and they had a dvd of it there and the dvd had extras that the vhs didn't have because it's dvd and there's extras such a weird time like right in yeah hindsight yes so like you went to media play mm-hmm. to get the first VHS. old school reference second old school <laughs> reference and so the extras were five matches and it was uh him versus triple h at 17 him versus hogan at survivor series 91 him versus Kurt Angle at Fully Loaded 2000, him versus Kane of the Inferno match, and him versus Shawn Michaels in Hell in a Cell, which I had always heard was fantastic and I'd never seen. Wow. So I bought the DVD. So I drove to my sister's. Yeah. After the fact, right? Yeah, like yeah. four years after the fact. And I watched it and I got why it has so much hype. What an amazing match. Too bad about that finish, right, team? I We're going to get to the <laughs> okay. finish, man. We can argue this out in just a minute. <laughs> so before the match, Sean has this really funny interview where he says, his one saving grace tonight is luckily his coveted European title is not on the line and doesn't amazing. exaggerate it. <laughs> i love it yeah it's funny how he's just like burying the title right, like, right yeah there. whatever title sean has is the important one <laughs> and he gives the famous line they're using like every Shawn michaels uh promo clip ain't nobody crazy enough to do this gig except me <laughs> gosh he tells sean or triple h china he's gonna go do this one alone right so we're set up for this man so he said he would be terrified if he wasn't the most athletic the most talented the most tenacious tough as nails wrestler in the world just just completely without ego you know it's so good it's great (laughs) so the the match itself james Mm -hmm. like you said amazing also the pre-match video real quick yeah we mentioned how this story is kind of about Shawn michaels mostly Mm -hmm. the video for this match is also all about Shawn michaels and his descent into heel so they're still framing it around his heel turn and by the way he's fighting the undertaker (laughs) like yeah like just like an add-on and the taker's gonna kick his butt yeah so in this super cool bit before the match the cage lowers, but before anybody comes out, Sergeant Slaughter comes out, the commissioner, and he checks under the ring just to make sure that, like, Sean doesn't have any cronies down there. Yep. And then he kind of gives a thumbs up, says we're clear. They use a flashlight so they can see under there. And then Sean comes out. He doesn't have an ally under the ring. 
Yeah, China here, by the way, this is pre-surgery China, pre-facelift, all that. She looks like she could kick the crap out of anybody here. Yep, there's some uh, inappropriate signs in the crowd about her. I think DX started those, right? Like Sean Triple H had yep. the famous, I'd rather be in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, uh, very yeah. of the times. I think, like, this is a, a no-brainer, but this match really shows for me, like, how Sean was a, a master of wrestling the other person's style. Yes. So with all of the talk that he had going into it, like he gets in there and he just sells the crap out of everything. Yes. Making Undertaker just look like a monster, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Sean everything dominated. Like... And then Sean dominates for about 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. The heel's got to take over for a bit. But yeah, like you said, Sean's selling everything like The Undertaker is the toughest guy to ever walk the face of the earth. I don't know if it's just because I haven't watched old stuff like that in a while outside of Brett and Owen, but he sells like everything. I can't remember if it was this match or then I might have even said it for Ground Zero, but at some point when Undertaker comes out, you know how we talked about Brett and Undertaker where he kind of like gets a little spooked by yes. the lights coming on and all that. Sean sells that as if he had like just got a stunner. Like, <laughs> like he's so scared. <laughs> Actually, yeah, one of the cool things, DX walks out to the ring with him here. Yeah. And they're on the ring, you know, they're kind of giving their high fives, you know, they're patting Sean on the back. And then like The Undertaker's magic dong. You right. said I could call that? Yes. So the lights go start to flicker, and the dong comes all over everybody in the arena. All right, James. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so at that point, Triple H kind of gives his final, like, high five, and then him and China and Rick Root all, like, just jump out of the ring the and just leave Sean there alone. I kind of miss Tri- uh, Triple H's, like, scared side. Like, I always thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Like, the comedic stuff, and then once he's Triple H, it's, like, yeah. nothing terrifies him at all so. so yeah they're they're all selling for the undertaker even before the match begins <laughs> that's super cool yep they gotta do the work for him all right so let's talk about the match <laughs> the cameraman saga okay okay so sean's beating the undertaker up outside the ring and he bumps into a cameraman on the second time he bumps into the cameraman he grabs the guy and throws him to the side on the third time he, and like at this point you're like is this real right the third time he bumps into him he punches him he kind of stomps him when the guy goes down and then he drops an elbow on him so <laughs> the elbow's like okay this is not real this is planned <laughs> or sean lost his mind <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so then they start to open the door of the cell to get the cameraman out. Now, at this point, Sean gets Taker in the ring. He's laying him out. He starts queuing up the super kick. Okay. Uh, he he got the flying elbow on Taker. He calls for the super kick. He sizes him up. It hits the Undertaker square on the jaw. Yep. Perfect. And the Undertaker immediately sits up. Awesome. And Sean Michaels just turns and runs out the open <laughs> door that they're getting the cameraman out through. He's going home. So good. Yeah. Showing Tribbiani style. <laughs> so the Undertaker follows him out, and then this like epic, like your stomping your, takes place. Your brain is like, oh, I know where they're going. You know, they had to get the cameraman out so they could do all this, yeah, this fun stuff outside of the cage. So yeah, so the Undertaker like shows sh- throws Sean face first into the cage on a catapult. Sean Michaels' face is a bloody mess at this point. Yeah, it is. And then so Sean starts to climb up the cell to get away. <laughs> And this is the famous spot where the Undertaker follows him up halfway, mm-hmm. rams Sean into the cell, and Sean falls halfway down the length of the cell, crashes through a table. Classic. Yeah, so this would be taught by Mick Foley a couple years later, but this is still an all-time clip. Sean's like 
falling and flailing is a thing of beauty. It really is. Would you say the Mankind one was topped by Shane McMahon 15 years later? So here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. The Mankind one came so out of the blue. Like the Shawn one, you can kind of see like, right. that's a long fall, but that looks safe enough. Yep. The Shane one, because Mankind had happened before, you I think it was possible. topped. But yeah, you know it's possible. The Mankind one was insane to watch. And when Jim Ross screams, oh my God, they like, and it's only the Undertaker that did it. But Jim Ross screams, oh my God, they killed him. Referring yeah. to like the people in the back. It really is kind of creepy. Yeah, it creeps you out thinking like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's talking about they like the corporate. They, like Right. Yeah. The people running the business. And then la- even better than that, later in the match. Taker does a choke slam. It goes wrong. The cell breaks in a way it's not supposed to break. Mankind crushes through the ring onto the mat. And Jim Ross just kind of cries out, Well, somebody just stopped the damn match. It's perfect. Yeah, you really forget how great or like how much JR adds to the matches back then. <sighs> yeah, I'm waiting for him to kick it in into uh, AEW. As opposed to for SummerSlam, I asked Jess to just turn the sound off because really michael cole is so <laughs> oh, man. i like I don't the know. accommodators I, I right now i don't know that it was that it was more like i don't know i just can't i can't do it right now with with michael cole but i do like him sometimes it's not a, i'm not being a jerk to him but anyway Corey graves said this <laughs> what i forget no it wasn't Corey graves it was nigel mcginnis at takeover had this really great line where um, they were showing Johnny Gargano, you know, his place in Cleveland, and Adam Cole comes out and he makes fun of Gargano in the video package at his home in Cleveland. And Nigel on commentary says, like, a lot of people were upset about Adam Cole visiting Gargano's training camp. Gargano's a hero to chubby antisocial losers everywhere. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I would oh not gosh. turn, I would never turn the commentary down on TakeOver shows. Yes. Another thing that's great about TakeOver. All right. So do you want to talk about the end of this match? I think. Are we there? I think we're we're ready, James. But All right. So The Undertaker gets a chair and he bashes Sean over the head with it, which is bringing the SummerSlam ending full circle. It's perfect. And hard to watch. And hard to watch, yeah, with what we know about CTE now. And then so the story of one man's revenge gets trumped by the story of another man's revenge here. The Undertaker signals for the tombstone, and then the lights go out, but it's not the magic dong. It's an organ. Right. And so we hear this music we never hear. This red light comes out of the entrance. And a big guy in a red mask and a red and black bodysuit with Paul Bearer flanking him walks through. In case you were wondering, Paul Bearer is there to let you know that this is who Paul Bearer's been talking about. And then Vince McMahon, after all the bait and switches, gives us the famous, that, That's gotta be! That's gotta be Kane! That's gotta be Kane! So it was Kane. It was Kane, current mayor of uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. Yep. And yeah, Kane walks into the ring, rips the rips door the off the door hinges. Off, which I think is kind of interesting because of the cameraman, the whole thing with that where... I guess they locked it again. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Like, it, like it, you know, in the future where it was like every Honest Cell, you're like, oh no, like somebody has to use an ambulance or whatever, a stretcher. 
So they got to open the cage, you know, you know where right. it's going. And this one, it's like, they still did that and he got to rip the cage door off. So, yes, it's kind of funny. But yeah. And then so the cane raises his arm, puts him down for the first time. You see the fire jump up off the uh, ring post. Term, yeah. You know, that's the second instance of fire. They also played it when Kane came out. Some fire fireworks. Fi- <laughs> pyro fireworks. Yes. That looked like fire exploded, I think. And Kane tombstones the Undertaker. Shawn Michaels crawls on cool Dr. Pin. Yep. That's it, right? Shawn wins. Yep. Taker's laid out. And that's how this match ends. And then the next time on Raw, DX Ray paints a casket. So, so hold on, James. Yeah. So I've been talking crap about the finish the whole time. Okay. So uh, this is not the next time on Raw, by the way, but go ahead. Right. So amazing ending, right? Everybody's like losing their damn minds about yes Kane I think this is maybe definitely one of the top five most important finishes of the last so important I think is the key word so like in hindsight right Kane's a big deal long-standing feud with Undertaker when we're watching (laughs) Bad Blood okay when we're uh whatever teen years old and getting it from media play and everything like I don't know. For me, maybe it's the Sean mark me, but like I want to see the end of the Undertaker and Sean feud. And for me, this is like, what the hell? We're just we're never gonna get an ending to this, and and it shows that we won't because it won't be for another like twenty freaking years. <laughs> see, I felt like. Honestly, I felt like we got a good enough ending. Like, The Undertaker essentially got his revenge by beating Sean to a pulp, a mm-hmm. bloody pulp. And just before he was going to go through the formality of actually winning the match, Kane debuts. So Sean escapes with the win. He's going to get the title shot, which is where he needed to go. But The Undertaker gets his physical revenge. No, you're right, James. <laughs> really? It's just like that. You're going to give it yeah. up? Okay. That makes sense. I think, I don't know, it just always bothered me that there are, if you, you know, classic you, classic match, can't wait to watch it again, go back and watch it, you're like, wait, there was a schmazz at the end. Like, right. I don't know. I think I'm, like, lumping it in with so many of the dumb Hell in a Cell <laughs> matches that came afterwards. Fair enough. And not remembering that this was the first time that this yeah. was happening, so. And that's hard, you know, it's hard to watch things in a vacuum. Right. Yeah, it changes the context completely. The whole, like, that's gotta be Kane soundbite, I think if you were to, like, name successfully the 100 most important moments in WWE history, Kane's debut would probably be one of them. He was, like, a 20-plus year character, main event character that whole run, you know, and, again, that soundbite, I feel like I hear it every year for one reason or another. I say it. Yeah, I say it. (laughs) Who's at the door? That's gotta be Kane! (laughs) So. Alright, so, overall, this match, let's, before we we move on and try to finish up the rumble we're gonna run through that quick because it's not much about sean taker right. actually how what kind of star rating would you give this match well before you convince me i probably would say like 4.75 okay and that's only on the weird melter rate like if i yeah. could it'd be like 4.99 okay and basically just not giving the it finish. Extra to the finish but i would say five stars yeah got so. you the 0.01 yeah. the hump. cool okay i'd give it five too melter gave it five it was an iconic match you know that it's funny if you list off like the top 10 matches of the 1990s brett versus austin taker versus sean hell in a cell and eddie versus mysterio all from 1997 those three from that one year might all be in the top five that's crazy (laughs) yeah 1997 was a big year some really good stuff happened yeah we had talked uh briefly for funsies about our top 10 SummerSlam matches of all time yep Mm mm-hmm 
and we had i was trying to look at the years because for my 10 they were all from separate summer slams were yours also i had two from 2013 and i had two from 2002 what was your one from 2013 that wasn't lesnar and punk cena brian oh okay gotcha that old chestnut oh yeah okay never mind off topic but anyway yeah the the multiple matches in one year is that my point was like SummerSlam for for me top ten matches it would be hard to pick two from one year much less three like you're saying that are in like the all time matches from the nineties so yeah yeah it's crazy. it's crazy that that one year for whatever reason everything clicked in certain aspects yeah so we'd both give that five and that's pretty much the end of Sean Taker this feud they kind of revisited in late december early january essentially Shawn michaels needs to defend the belt at the royal rumble owen hart had come back vince didn't really think it was he was quite hot enough to main event a pay-per-view so he put taker in that spot and Shawn taker going into the rumble was really just a formality to have another turn in the taker kane saga all right so what do you want to talk about with this bill <laughs> so this is kind of like do you remember when i'm trying to think what match it was the end towards the end of brett and owen when i felt like it was it was actually very similar so the SummerSlam match that i love of theirs i felt like was the good ending okay and they had like one more match that was like not so great was that on raw or who are you talking about brett and owen brett and owen uh action zone okay so yeah and it so, was still a great match just i remember you that level. yeah yeah so for me this is that okay we're seemingly done why are we doing doing it again again for yeah seemingly no reason it's kind of out of the blue and my notes show that this is actually the match where if you want to go back and find it where sean like hardcore oversells the uh the taker entrance okay that's pretty funny so (laughs) so in the build of this this is raw 240 whatever date that is now probably january 98 dx spray paints a casket and they kind of talk then the casket comes out to interrupt sean during a promo and triple h and china pop out of the casket the next week um they show a video about hell in a cell and sean has a promo again the same spray painted casket rolls out and he thinks it's dx inside again but then triple h and china appear on stage and it's taken in the casket and he pulls sean in and he closes the lid and then a camera is in the casket and we go off the air with jim ross yelling we're in the casket we're in the casket josh this was pretty stupid <laughs> I, I think this might go hand in hand with what my issues with undertaker is this is like he has a lot of dumb this moments is so dumb years. yeah <laughs> like casket matches were kind of interesting for like half a year okay. and then like it's 1998 like why are we still doing casket matches and definitely why is a title match a casket match you know the undertaker has a lot of fantastical elements in his feuds sometimes right which either makes them fun or lame depending on your viewpoint i guess you gotta think and i know vince gets crap for not being thinking about the big picture sometimes but you gotta think that they know in like five years this is gonna look ridiculous i don't know i mean the direction they were going with the dx stuff and austin you know he's hot yeah to have a casket match <laughs> i i like casket matches okay. really but I, what i just said something like this i thought was kind of dumb logistically like why is there a camera in the casket and nobody knows and oh Jim i Ross thought we were just like, crapping on cas- casket matches in general oh, sorry no, we Jim. can do that for sure <laughs> we can do that for sure if you want to yeah no yeah it was just kind of i felt like they were kind of finding their way with the the change in direction of the company so yes give them a pass but yeah it was kind of silly 
So, the next week on Raw, DX Promo closes the show. What had happened the week before during this whole ridiculous We're the Casket episode? Kane and Paul Bearer kind of had a split. And so, even though Kane calls Undertaker the match at Hell in a Cell, the Undertaker, you know, he knows his brother's alive now. He keeps saying, I will not fight my brother. I will not fight my brother. The story of Kane is that he goes on a rampage, destroying everybody in the roster, interrupting matches, until the Undertaker will face him face to face and the undertaker just won't do it and so in this closing promo dx says you know it's pretty obvious that kane and paul bear have split so they'd like to invite kane into dx and so then the lights go out but instead of kane the undertaker's music hits (laughs) and taker tells dx to leave his family out of this and then he attacks dx and takes over in the three-on-one. Like, what did Sean think was going to happen, like, in, in kayfabe? They hadn't invited Kane for real. Like, and Well, that was that was his invitation to Kane for real. Like an open invitation, DX, not yeah. like... Irony, because Kane actually did join DX in 1999, sort of, kind of. <laughs> I, I guess I just thought, like, it meant we've discussed this already. We're introducing our new member, Kane. Oh, oh why didn't they do it off-camera? Yeah, we... like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Because Kane didn't talk yet <laughs> yeah he doesn't talk that's for sure so dx he, takes over red is his color not green yeah <laughs> <laughs> dx takes over on the undertaker and kane's music hits at this point and, and the crowd is chanting we want kane he comes out no one knows if he's there to help dx or taker and when he gets down to the ring he attacks dx he chases them down the aisle and at the end of the ramp and this is super cool kane turns around and the undertaker is back on his feet in the ring Kane extends his hand to the Undertaker. And it was super obvious where all this was going. You know, and- Kane's going to turn on the Undertaker. But it was still a really cool moment. And the Undertaker, like, gets on one knee and does saying, his pose. To he Kane. does, like, the end of the Mania 13 kind of thing. Yeah. Like. It was such an awesome, cool moment that I remember watching this live. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I know he's going to turn at the Rumble. It's obvious that's where they're going with this. But this is so cool. I don't want that to happen. Right. And that's the go home to the Royal Rumble. By the way, sign out this promo that we just talked about. It's um, the promo that they always use on Botchamania for the everybody talks too much segment wrestlers giving instructions in the ring and this is the first appearance of what would become the vince russo trope in wcw where the face turn lasts for exactly one week and it's only exists so the new face can turn heel again one week later bad writing bad writing (laughs) bro i'm a writer okay the story of kane turning face for one week and I did like it, it there. It's, it's just like confusing. Scott Steiner turning face right. for a week. Everybody remembers that, bro. It was bad. WCW yeah. Russo was so bad. All right. So the pre-match video for the Rumble 98. We're at the Rumble now. The casket match. Like all the other ones, it's mostly all about HBK. They're really pushing HBK's title match win record here, saying it's better than Savage's and Hogan's. And better than John Wayne's in movie shootouts. And he has just lost on Raw three weeks back in on pay-per-view the month before. And he won the title off an openly acknowledged screw job. So this really feels hollow and empty. I feel like this is some, uh, taking some liberties here, James. Well, I just, hearing this, I was like, even kayfabe, this does not work at all. Yeah, I, I don't know if they they need something to hang their hat on with Sean being such a tool, like, yes. leading up to it, you know. 
So, hey, remember, he's a good wrestler. You know, maybe that was it. I guess so, yeah. He's facing a, an unbeatable monster. This is, you know, don't forget that he wins a lot of championship matches. <laughs> right. So, so this is the match where Shawn Michaels injures his back that would force him to retire for four and a half years. He thought forever at the time. It happens like a minute into the match. And Shawn Michaels, basically the story goes, like he finishes the match. Story goes, he didn't really realize that he was hurt until like the next morning. Like yeah. he couldn't get out of bed. When all of the Vicodin wore off. Yeah. Whatever was in his veins. Yes. So Undertaker just does a backdrop out of the ring. Shawn Michaels hits the edge of the casket en route to landing on his feet with like his lower back. And that's what does it. Yeah. Way to go. Casket matches. Right. Five minutes into the match, I'm already thinking this is the worst match of the three so far between <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I will say there was some cool stuff in this match, James. Yeah, like he pile drives Undertaker on the stairs, which is <laughs> insane. That is awesome. What else? There's some cool reversals. Uh, I love Sean jumping off the top rope into a, a double choke by the, by Undertaker. Do you remember that? Yeah, like, like he catches him, both hands around his throat, right? Yeah, like that. Okay. Um, a lot of like just interesting... Did everybody reversals. see that for what Josh just did with his hands? Did you all see it? <laughs> Undertaker, Undertaker trying to choke slam and Sean catching the ropes uh, going into the moonsault I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. I thought it was really weird, though, James, when Undertaker grabbed Sean's balls. Do you remember this? <laughs> when he's in the casket and does the like kind of surprise like who is the indie guy that has the joey ryan joey ryan this is hugely like i know this is like the beginning of the attitude era but i was just like why why is he (laughs) grabbing his balls like it doesn't even make sense is it is that supposed to be like because shot always talks about maybe he's grabbing a roll of quarters i'll say you're you're talking me out of something here i left a note that said this is their third pay-per-view match in five months and it seems like they're out of great ideas but you're really convincing me like oh no that was cool that was cool. as that if a cool. casket match made any less sense now the intent is to grab someone's balls instead of like to throw them in there i don't know yes so yeah sean gets the uh, flying elbow and the super kick on to taker he rolls him into the casket he stands over the casket and crotch jock, uh, crotch chops it, and that's when Taker <laughs> that does part was that awesome. Choke slam spot <laughs> with Sean's. Yeah, uh, let's call it his screw job. Okay, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Both guys are going to the casket. The lid closes. So I thought this was confusing, James. I don't remember my my history on casket matches. Okay. Both of them being in there in there with a lid shut to me would be like some sort of a double. It's a draw. Double count out kind of draw I thing. I think like casket matches down with street like no holds barred like there must be a winner gotcha. so it just so gorilla going. didn't have to come down and say right <laughs> restart the match sudden death it, it's not like bret hart was in this match that's true screw anybody okay uh, it's an all-time great choke slam on sean in the match it is awesome and then he and this sounds really risky it looked like it was pretty well protected though the undertaker tombstone sean into the open casket yeah on his bad back uh, right you know <laughs> and uh then we kind of revisit the 1994 royal rumble casket match in a really cute spot with the bariquas and the new age outlaws running out to uh help Shawn michaels a schmoz to end uh right who would have thought <laughs> taker sean and then the lights go out kane appears kane shows up he saves his brother he does his turnbuckle pyro thing pose 
But none goes off. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if that was, is that on your <laughs> Botchermania videos? It, it, I don't know if they covered that. I'm sure they did at some yeah. point. But then Kane does the inevitable heel turn that we all knew was going to happen. Throat thrust, stomp, choke slam into the casket, and Sean is laying behind it and shuts the lid, and so Shawn Michaels wins the casket match. Kane then takes an axe to the casket until a hole opens up, then douses it in gasoline and lights it on fire, and Kane drops to do the Undertaker pose as the pay-per-view fades out over the fiery casket with supposedly the undertaker inside of it yeah so that's how that ends i this is definitely my least favorite match of the three of the four if you count SummerSlam with brett and taker yeah for sure i mean it's definitely not up to the match quality but i do think some of the stuff is is pretty interesting some of those um just reversals and moves and different things yeah. it's worth a watch yeah for the star watch. star power and speaking <laughs> of star power just, just total sidebar here first episode was about brett taker for part of it yep and i talked about how to me that was a five-star match i forgot to mention they have an even better five-star match that the at, uh, one night only between brett and taker and again it has a schmoz ending which just seemed to be all over these this years. same one night only where sean won the european yeah european mm-hmm. yeah i have to go back and watch that yeah it, it's great it's really good nice. another one where sean made events over the wwe title so Yep. Yeah, I mean, they were right when they said he's, you know, got that winning record and all that stuff. Yes. So, on Raw the next night, they mentioned how the casket was empty once they put the fire out. So, they don't know what happened with The Undertaker. There's tons of backstage promos with DX. And Shawn Michaels says he couldn't sleep last night because he feels so guilty about what happened to The Undertaker. Very sincerely. <laughs> Very sincerely. Yeah, he's wearing a sports coat, I think. He's wearing shades. He says... <laughs> They're going to show the fans that DX is not all bad, and tonight they themselves are going to find The Undertaker. So, by the way, on this episode of Raw, you got to watch this whole episode. It's such a weird episode. There's this DX stuff, but also there's a full 30-second Vic Venom slash Vince Russo vignette pimping the WWF magazine, him trying to act like a tough guy. It's so bad. It's awesome. Uh, later, we see Tom Brandy, a.k.a. Salvatore Sincere, facing his arch-rival, quote-unquote, Mark Marrow. And then the Quebecers return in the Attitude Era. Ahmed Johnson returns here and is like 50% pectoral muscles. And then there's an NWA title match and the Rock and Roll Express are right there on Monday Night This is Night what's Raw. so weird about this time is like they're stuck in between, you yeah. know? Yeah, and the Tyson the Austin Quebecers ends the show. Right. Yeah, the Quebecers... It, it's insane. It's how... like Undertaker should be the only one left with his, you know, with a gimmick. Everyone else immediately gone. I mean, even like my beloved Smoking Guns, they yeah. dropped that silliness and now they're respectable <laughs> road, road dogs. Dog. Yeah. Part guns of the new Midnight it's Express. man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, man. So yeah, the last episode we mentioned how in nineteen ninety seven there's like this uncomfortable push and pull between like where they're going with the attitude era versus like Southern wrestling style. This episode might be the single best example of a single episode of Monday Night Raw with that. This is all cornet. Yeah, it, it's awesome. Yeah, there's so much <laughs> on both sides. And so all right, all that aside, uh later in Raw we see a hearse arrive. And so, six minutes later, DX goes to visit the hearse. They kind of redo the Lethal Weapon bit, where it's like, do we go one, two, open, or one, two, three, yeah. open? And uh, 
they they open the door and then five groupies jump out and attack them like screaming like they're in a girls gone wild commercial or something like that or 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 like Shawn michaels and triple h just went ungray in a just for men hair dye commercial <laughs> nice We're like look at this nasty old man with this gray hair and then wait his hair isn't gray oh my gosh i can't wait to sleep with him <laughs> i hate those commercials so much and we're in a hearse for no reason. Yeah, so, yeah, the girls, I guess, got in the hearse because they knew DX would look there. So they drag DX into the hearse. And then China, in a cute moment, like, rolls her eyes and just, like, slams the hearse door shut. Like, God, this is so stupid. Yeah. And so it, it was kind of fun, at least. And then DX, you know, they find the uh, luchadors, the, um, lu- the little person luchadors. And they ask them if they've seen the, t- if they've seen the Undertaker. They only speak Spanish. And that's how that ends. And then, so this is what happens next, okay? Going towards the close of the first hour of Raw. They used to play the theme song again at the open of the second hour. Right. So Raw's what, war, James. Raw's war, yes. <laughs> so it's Undertaker, Sean, and China backstage. And Sean's saying, all right, you know, guys, you know, I asked this person, I asked this person, you know, the girls, that was a distraction, but... I just feel bad. I promised the fans I'd get the Undertaker, and I just and Sean's kind of talking to himself, motioning with his forehead. And while he's doing this, Triple H looks to the side instead of at Sean, and then Triple H takes his sunglasses off, and he's looking like up and away. And then China starts looking up and away, and Sean's like in his own world. He's still talking about not being able to find the Undertaker. And then Triple H like pats his arm three times, not removing his gaze from like far off into the distance, <laughs> and he points up. And then Shawn Michaels looks and he starts pointing up and they fade to black. Okay. Yeah. And then so that's the last thing on the first hour of Raw. They play the theme song. Raw's War opens up and then the lights go black. We get one more time when the lights go out, the magic dong comes out. And so the, I, I'll stop making that joke. I oh, promise. Fine. <laughs> All right. So when the lights go out, Taker's music hits. And then we see uh, somebody, basically we see the Undertaker kind of hung from a uh, cord, you know, like descending from the heavens, like descending from the top of the arena. Right. Now, he had done an entrance like this at Survivor Series 1996. So this was something we'd seen the Undertaker do before. So, and that was his comeback from the Buried Alive match with Mankind. So Taker, once again, is coming down from the top of the arena. His music's playing. The lights are out. Fans are going nuts, you know. And on commentary, they're like, The Undertaker, he's alive. You can't kill what's already dead and all this stuff. And he goes to the ring and he gets in the middle of the ring. You know, the purple lights, the smoke's coming in, I think. And then he dramatically throws his arms up. The lights come on with a thunderclasp. And then the DX music hits. And he removes the hat and the black hair comes off with it. And it's Shawn Michaels underneath Love the Undertaker it. outfit it's amazing this is my favorite thing dx ever did and so the fans like change on an instant from all this cheering to like boo but it's so funny triple h pushes a um grill out to signify the undertaker getting burned (laughs) amazing yeah getting burned in the casket the night before and then they make a bunch of stupid jokes about their crotchal areas yes i mean that's it and that's really as far as it goes until 2007. Yeah, that's, seven. A, that's the end of Good stopping Sean. point because it's, yeah, that's another nine years. Yeah. That's crazy. To 2007. So do you remember off the top of your head if they really, like, was that another span of time where they didn't 
meet one-on-one at all. I mean, I know Sean was out for a lot of that time, but... It was... Yeah, so Sean was gone until SummerSlam 2002 after WrestleMania, like two months after this. Okay. So when he came back, it was established. The Undertaker was on SmackDown. Shawn Michaels was on Raw. They had divided the rosters. The Undertaker was kind of a fixture to SmackDown uh, during this time, and Sean was a fixture to Raw. And so they didn't cross paths this whole time. It wasn't until the end of the Royal Rumble in 2007, where okay. basically they're the two favorites to win, and it comes down to the two of them. Well, but yeah, so yeah, and so until 2007, that's all we see of them. Crazy. So... Well, next episode, we're going to talk about the 2007 and 8 Royal Rumble, the pair of tag team matches between Taker and Batista versus Sean and Cena, and most importantly, WrestleMania 25. Josh, you have anything you want to say before that? No, um, other than there's three things that are certain in life. Death, taxes, taxes. and Randy Savage. <laughs> That's all we got for tonight. Thank you for joining us. There are only three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and Randy Savage.